The psalmist, Psalm 9 and 10, scholars think are actually one psalm. And the reason for that is because it's an acrostic. An acrostic is where you start the first letter of each line is the letter of the alphabet. And that happens in these two psalms. The Hebrew language has 22 letters in the alphabet. And so in Psalm 9, you have the first 11. And in Psalm 10, you have the second 11. And if you look at it in the Hebrew language, it's actually very beautifully formed. And so it's an acrostic. There's this idea that they're one psalm, maybe two, we don't know. But really, this psalm comes from the heart of David. What we've understood about David is that David was a rapist. David was a murderer. David was a man who was confronted by the prophet. And instead of God taking the kingdom away from him, the judgment on David's life would be that the sword would never depart from his life, from his hand. And so he spent his whole life either fighting enemies from without the borders of Israel or enemies from within. David lived a difficult life. And yet, somewhere in that period, he writes this psalm, this beautiful psalm, where he focuses not on himself, but on God. I will tell of all your wonderful deeds. Think of all the wonderful things that happened in David's life. It was a mess. But you know, as a boy, he was sent off to watch the sheep with a stick and a slingshot. And the lions came. And God blessed him and gave him a good eye, and he killed the lion with a slingshot. That's a blessing. That's a wonderful deed that God could be with a boy in the wilderness. And then he went at his father's request to visit his brothers as they were fighting the Philistines. And he saw the giant Goliath, and no one would fight him. And so he volunteered to do it, trusting that God would use his stone and his slingshot to bring down Goliath. What a wonderful deed. And God allowed him to defeat that enemy. Think of all the battles that David has won throughout his life. Over and over and over again, David was outnumbered, outclassed. They had better weapons. They had more soldiers. And yet David won. Those are the blessings of God. Every single time. He loved Saul and Jonathan. And Saul hated him and wanted to kill him. And God blessed him by never having to take Saul's life. Instead, Saul fell in battle. And Jonathan did as well. And then David was able to show kindness to that family. The blessing. I think that's what David's doing here. David's going down through all of the messes of his life, and in every mess, he sees the hand of God. Here's a homework assignment for you. Sit down with a piece of paper and think about all the most difficult moments in your life and ask yourself, where was God?
I think you'll find that he was there. Another thing you might do when you think of the wonderful deeds of God, you might sit down with a piece of paper and think from the time you were little and write down the people that God has sent into your life. The teachers, the neighbors, the Sunday school teachers, the godly older people that God has sent. And just give them thanks for it. Your parents, they are a blessing to you. You know, I had probably the worst parents of anybody in this room. And yet when I think about it, I sit and I think in awe of the fact that God allowed me to suffer, that he might use me. And in the mess, God was there. You cannot find anything in your life where you cannot Know that God was there. We call it hindsight. Some people call it fool sight. I think biblically we call it the ability to turn those things into praise. The ability to see the hand of God. The ability to understand that we are not here by chance. The ability to say that God is absolutely in control and that we can rejoice in Him and we can sing the praises of God. Some of you have had cancer. Some of us who have survived from cancer have what you call survivor guilt. I know I do. Some very good men, far younger than I am, died of the same cancer that I have. The first person I ever baptized in my ministry died of the same cancer I had within a very short period of time. I can thank him for that, that I'm still here, that I'm still serving. Take that time to do that. You know, we've all been in a situation as parents where you have two or three kids who are all sick at the same time. Remember those nights? You know, one pukes and has diarrhea. And you get that one cleaned up, and the next one starts. And you get that one cleaned up, and the first one's going again. <laughs> you know, and it's that way all night. And yet God was there. When's the last time you took the time to say thank you for getting me through those tough nights? When do you sing his praise? I mean, think about it, friends. There is nothing that happens to us, that does not deserve the wonder of our praise for him. David now turns to things that he actually experienced. He experienced enemies that were defeated, justice that had been rendered, enemies that had been put in their places, the evil one who had been destroyed and their names blotted out, I'm very grateful to God that over and over and over again, he's provided for me. I think back to when I was a child and I was hungry. I was hungry a lot as a kid. I think back to all those mornings at 3 a.m. in the morning I got up and I went to rob milk shoots. Now, those of you who are young don't even know what a milk shoot is. There was a time in this country 
where the milkman came early in the morning and put milk in your milk chute. And the idea was on Friday, you put money in the throat of the bottle to pay for the milk. Remember that? Anybody do that? A few of us here? Yeah. Okay. Well, if you lost money, a kid like me came along and stole it because I was hungry. And I never got caught. I never got hurt. I was eight years old, three o'clock in the morning out on the streets. What do we know? We know that all bad things happen after midnight on the streets, don't they? God preserved my life. He sent me a social worker, a lady by the name of Mrs. Standard. I thank God almost every week for her. She was a Salvation Army girl. And for some reason, she prayed for me. She stayed with my family through 11 years of hell until I decided I wouldn't go home anymore. And that woman is the reason that I'm still alive. I was on that close from joining a motorcycle gang and becoming a criminal. And I think her prayers kept me from it. Take the time to realize how much God has done for you. Gail and I got married at a time when I had a 13-year-old daughter. Anybody remember having a 13-year-old daughter? Her mother had died. Her dad remarries. We come home from the honeymoon. We have to learn to adjust to each other. And then three children, and one of them's a teenager. I wasn't sure we'd survive. And God was there through all of it. I thank him for the four months that I've had here. When I was told your story and the difficulties you were having, I thought, man, it's going to be a tough road. People are going to be mad at me. People are going to hate me, which is okay because I'm not going to stay. Half the church is going to leave. And yet God didn't do any of that. You stood up to the bullies. You listened to the Spirit. Your best days are ahead of you. The road is clear for God to bless you over and over again. And I stand in awe because I didn't do anything. I showed up week after week. And God has been good. You need to remember. I need to remember how good God is. And we need to give him praise. We need to breathe in all of that that has happened in our lives. All of the moments that we have pushed aside and forgot about, we need to re-remember. Then there's the hope of the praise to come. You can count on God in the future. His justice will never stop. He has established His throne for judgment. 
Now, I have told you that God is love. I have told you you're saved by grace, not by works. Right? And now I'm telling you about judgment. Doesn't seem that up, does it? If I'm saved by grace, what am I getting judged for? Well, the Bible tells us very clearly something, folks. That judgment will start with the body of Christ. For those who have been saved by grace, God's judgment will be first in your life and in my life. And then I ask myself, he's love. What's he judging me for? How is that going to feel like? What is that going to look like? How is that going to affect me? I think what will happen for you and I when we are confronted by the King of Kings, the Lord of Glories, when we stand there at the judgment seat, we are going to have exposed all those moments when we did things in pride. All of those moments we said we're doing this for God and quite frankly, we're doing it for ourselves. We're going to have all those moments when we lied and it's going to be little white lies. You're going to look at somebody someday and probably already done this and said, I'll pray for you. And then you didn't. And you're going to be broken. I'm going to be broken. All of the things that I thought were so clever and so good and so godly are going to be exposed as nothing but coming out of my flesh. And at that moment, when God is done judging me, I am going to realize for the first time in all of my existence that I truly am saved by grace and not by works. Because quite frankly, I still think I have some good ideas. And they're all bad ideas. Then the world gets judged. All of those who are outside the body of Christ. You know, and today we have a system in this country of laws and balances. We were talking in the sauna one time at the Y, and we had a judge and a couple of lawyers there, and they were talking back and forth about different things. And the judge looked at us and said, Men, you're crazy if you think you have a justice system in Canada. We have no justice in Canada. We have a legal system. The best lawyers, the most money, will win the battle almost every time. That does not happen in the coming judgment when Christ returns. There will be no favoritism to those who are wealthy. There will be no favoritism to those who are the prettiest or the strongest. It is not the survival of the fittest in the kingdom of God. It is the blessing to the weakest. Every time. Those who have been mistreated will be loved. Those who have been lied about will experience God's goodness. No one will hurt women and children again. 
it will end at the judgment seat of Christ. Politicians who lie and do whatever they want, they will be judged. It's coming. We can give thanks to God that children will no longer be things forced to work or used in improper ways. We can give thanks for God's judgment. Women will no longer be sexually abused, emotionally, physically. They won't be paid any less in God's kingdom. We will be treated truly for the first time in the existence since the fall of mankind as totally equal. Your gender will not affect the way God looks at you because you are his child. We can give thanks for that. Business will never get away with polluting the land or the air or the sea or the worker again. God's judgments will be final. Builders will not get away with poor workmanship or cutting corners. They will be exposed. We can give praise for that. We can take the time to realize that the wrong that is so evident to so many of us will be set right by the absolute perfect judgments of the King of Kings and Lord of Glory. So here are the takeaways. The best time to learn to be thankful is when the trouble starts. When you're in the mess, be thankful. David learned that. Living in a cave, he gave thanks. Running from his own son, he gave thanks. In the worst moments of his life, he turned to God and he breathed in God. You need to do the same. Review your history with God. And you will find that he has never failed you. Ever. You know, 66 years, I'm not as old as some of you. I'm the baby senior here. But God has never failed me. He's never let me down. I am more than willing and able to go home to be with him in glory anytime he wants to take me. Because I know that he is good and he loves me. And third, develop a praise of anticipation for the days to come. Thank him even before you see the answer. Thank Him for this next year. We have no clue what this next year will bring. But give Him thanks. Give Him thanks for all of the messes that will be created, sometimes at your own hands and sometimes by somebody else. You've got a couple of baby pastors that are going to lead you. They're going to make mistakes. Give Him thanks for those mistakes. It's okay to make mistakes. If we can't make mistakes in the body of Christ, what are we doing here? And Zach, don't forget, they're all sinners. They're screwed up. They're going to do dumb things. And you know something? It's okay. Because God will be there. 
It is when we hide our mistakes, when we refuse to admit them. It's when we, we say, no, that's not wrong. That's what God told me to do. Well, if it disagrees with Scripture, he didn't tell you to do it. I guarantee you. I don't know how many people have shown up in my office and said, God told me to get a divorce. And I look at them and say, I don't think the God that I serve told you that. Because he didn't. God doesn't tell us to do that kind of stuff. So stop saying that. And maybe the best thing for all of us is to remember, it is okay to repent. It is okay to confess your sin. It is okay to say, I don't know. And give him thanks for those moments that will come. Because you'll have lots of opportunity to do those things in the next year. You know why? Because you're human. And so am I. And I plan to do a lot of confession. A lot of for asking for forgiveness. Because I plan to live this next year. Do you? That's my God. The God that David describes here is my God. Do you know him? Will you follow him? Will you let him love you? We're going to prepare for communion as we sing together. Get your hearts ready.